Hi, my name's Ella and this is the Feeling Griefy podcast and this is actually the most emotional episode and of course every emo- every episode is slightly emotional because we're talking about grief but this one was even more so so it's not a warning per se and I'll write in the show notes the times at which it's the most emotional <clears throat> but it's emotional because we're talking a bit about the week before my mum died which was an incredibly intense and stressful time and we were really talking about what it kind of why it was stressful and what actually it means to in the days leading up to when someone dies and also the days afterwards and these are all things that I just had no idea about before mum died I think on the telly when you see someone dying you just see them maybe collapse and then everyone's wailing but you don't see that you know minute by minute what happens actually when someone dies um and this was a you know things I was saying to Patrick I haven't said to anyone bar my therapist five years ago um, so for five years, so it was a it was a really interesting experience reliving it all, and I actually nearly made Patrick cry as well, which I did feel quite bad about. But you did say you slept really well afterwards because you were so exhausted from emotion from me. Um, so yeah, in this episode we talk about kind of the days leading up to when my mum died, but also what it means to grieve together as a family, um, and also we there's a bit about maybe this is a spoiler uh my youngest brother you know traditions at christmas of of going to see mum's grave and then you know taking a shot with mum and then being back at the christmas table with granny and grandpa feeling a bit drunk so i suppose what i'm trying to say is it's not all really sad intense stuff but obviously it is a bit more intense and sad than the other episodes but you know maybe listen to this when you're needing a cry um and i think actually i listened to this all back when I was in a really griefy week, just lying on my bed. I'd taken the afternoon off work, so I was just feeling really sad. I'd had a midday bath, really delightful, with a crumpet and a tea and bubbles, and um, just lay on my bed listening to it, and I found it quite cathartic. So maybe save this for a moment in which you want to get more in touch with your emotions. We've talked before about you when your mum died. Yes. And you were 20. Yeah. So how old does that mean your brothers were? So, um, Tom was 18, William was just 16, and Ned was 13. So, relatively, you were pretty old when your mum died. <laughs> yes. Like, it's easy to be like, oh, you were so young, but actually you were the oldest seven the years four. older than... Yeah, s- yeah, seven more years of mum than um, Ned. Than Ned. Yeah. Bit huge. But that's also a thing that... Because when I say that mum died... Yeah, I think it really makes a difference how old your family is and that like because you have younger siblings it's a different I mean every experience is different but being the oldest of like the three younger brothers adds another dimension in the same way that I'm sure if you were the youngest of other siblings or the only child yeah you don't think about only child actually yeah because in some ways I think it's really I mean have yeah I can't imagine being an only child because that would mean that all of your memories of one person you hold Whereas actually the thing about having siblings and losing someone is that you, there's that camaraderie. Is that the, even if you don't talk about it, because you've all lost the same person. So there's no like, oh, I miss them more. Or I, he's like, you all know you've exactly lost the same person. So you feel like you're in it together. Even if we don't talk about it as such, there's kind of a kinship in that. Um, Yeah, not that me and Tom and the boys are like, oh, (laughs) We've all lost the same person. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> Teamwork. <laughs> Teamwork. <laughs> but yeah, there's a there's a there's an essence of no one because like I said, it's really hard to explain grief and the feeling and the loss. And of course, me and the boys experience it all differently. But 
the fact that it's all the same person, um, I don't know, adds a, another layer to it. Do you remember the first conversation you had with them about it after the death? Obviously, every conversation is going to be about yeah. it and it's going to be like, are you okay? Yeah. Obviously, the answer is no. But <laughs> like, do you remember like the next day or the next week having a kind of conversation with any of them about what it meant and bigger things and bigger ideas of grief? I don't think it, I don't think it happened at all in the first few weeks and months. I think that when it happened, we were all... So when mum died, me and my brothers were all in my bedroom. Um, I was sharing a bed with Ned and we'd put a mattress on the floor and kind of all of us were up there because mum died about 10 p.m. at night. And dad had been downstairs with her and then came to tell us when mum died. And so that was a very weird feeling to all be in one room and to hear the same thing. Um, and I think because it's such a massive thing and you can't really wrap your head around what's happened. Like you're told, like mum's died. And the immediate feeling is almost like relief because it's like been such an awful anticipation or this worry. And then suddenly the worst has happened and, and nothing kind of, that's it. You, you've kind of gone to the worst place. And so nothing else can really be as bad in that moment. Um, and then the following few days afterwards, I don't think we spoke, because none of us were really registering it. It all kind of felt quite, quite dreamlike. And actually, the days after mum died were quite nice. Like mm. we all kind of, all my fat, like all the family descended. I honestly had croissants every single day because people just bring over croissants. We had delicious food. I mean, I still feel quite bad. So I think we've got like loads of um, trays that people bought food in and we never returned. <laughs> so, so we've got loads of lasagna trays <laughs> if anyone ever needs. Um, but people would drop over food, kind of... We and me and the boys would sit in the sofa and we started watching um, Gavin and Stacey. Brilliant. So we'd just sit in the, in the sitting room and it just felt like half term almost. It felt like this really weird, like time had just stopped. Kind of things were going on around us. Everyone was being incredibly nice. And I think I said before, I'd be like, why are you being so nice? <laughs> it's not like this awful things just happened. Um, and it, yeah, we were just kind of so distracted. So you don't, that's not the reality of mum not being there. That's mm. kind of family in and out, kind of people dropping over, getting loads of nice messages. Our house looked like a florist because we had so many flowers arriving. And so actually it's a very lovely bubble and it contrasted so massively with the week before, which is the most stress I've ever had in my whole entire life. And so it, it was enjoyable in a really weird way because again, it's because mum not being there wasn't noticed we didn't notice it as much. She could have just been, I don't know, on away a work trip work or, or yeah, away. So it wasn't, um, cause you can't feel the reality. And that's the thing when someone dies is you don't see that they're not there. It's not like, you know, cutting yourself massively. And there's that massive reminder, but it's very easy to distract yourself. Um, so I think in that first week or so, it was just very kind of like warm bubble. <laughs> and then, and then, and then obviously that doesn't continue and things kind of have to go back to well, normal. Life goes, like, yeah life goes on the, or just the pillars of life you have to someone has to be somewhere and then you're not all yeah exactly the, the bubble bursts yeah exactly and, that, and I think I mentioned it when I went up to university back to London probably like a, a week and a half two weeks later and that felt really weird where suddenly you feel very bare and that you've like because at home was so calm and so relaxed and so kind of swaddled and it was our own little bubble I just had absolutely no idea that obviously everything's just going on as normal around us and then you leave and getting the tube and, and seeing everyone just rushing by. And it's just that. And that took a really long time to kind of put your, my reality 
fitting it in with that other reality. Um, and there were blips. So like before mum, so the day before mum died, I could see, I, I was starting to feel that where you kind of don't realise how much of a bubble you've made until you go outside into the real world. And mum had asked for orange juice and um, she wasn't hugely saying loads. And so I just went to co-op and tried to buy every single brand of orange juice I could. I was like, would she want bits? No bits. <laughs> like kind of in this weird days. And also I remember me and dad going around a supermarket doing this shop, kind of like throwing things in the trolley. And you just cut and you're so oblivious to everyone around you because it just, it feels like you've, you've uncomfortably like come out of your bubble to kind of get the things you need. It's like we're in a bunker that you're kind of all bunkered down. Um, but yeah, I remember going to co-op and just, also I was, again, like I said before, I just was so unbelieving of what was happening, but I could tell it just felt very surreal. And I was buying my t- two things of orange juice that I don't think mum even, mum had like a sip um, and kind of like running back and stuff. Um, and yeah, it just felt very, very weird. Um, the week before that was the day maybe a day or two before she died and it was stressful because you know you nothing you do yeah isn't is gonna save the day yeah well at least i mean i thought i mean i mean i've never i never really pray i was praying (laughs) i was like (laughs) i was like please but also yeah but it's stressful i think it's stressful because Again, it shows you, I think, that sometimes your body reacts to things and it knows the reality of what's happening, but your brain's not caught up with you yet. And so um, it was stressful because mum was undeniably not doing well. Like, it was hard to kind of ignore some of the signs. And I've learned um, since that there's, I mean, that we've all got this confirmation bias where we kind of all, you just believe things that fit your narrative. And I had that to an extreme in the week before she died. Um, where kind of any symptom or sign that she had that showed that her liver perhaps wasn't working as well, I'd kind of scroll the internet and find, you know, one story of someone saying, well, this happened and then I tried this and it got better and I'd tell mum that. And that would, I'd just, you know, latch onto that and believe it. But then um, mum had had to go to hospital for a few days um, and then she came home, which was wonderful for her to be home. And I think now I have this massive appreciation for how important it is that someone died at home. I think that like often we don't think about, you don't appreciate it whether someone was in a hospital or in a hospice or at home, but it makes such a massive difference um, to be in your own space. Um, and she came home and I think what happens when your liver starts to fail, or at least this is my understanding, is that the toxins that your liver would process, I think start to go to your brain. So you could become a bit more lethargic and a bit more um, slow and I remember um, we brought mum back from the hospital. Sorry, this has gone on a tangent, but <laughs> um, we brought mum back from the hospital and kind of she sat, we sat her in a wheelchair to like walk her out. And I remember as well, like when we were leaving the hospital, everyone was like looking very kind of somber. Um, and I kind of was getting annoyed. What, members of the public? N- uh, members of like nurses that had been kind of with her. Because I think they obviously could tell that she wasn't like that if you've got a terminal cancer and you're looking like that, like things aren't looking good. Yeah. Whereas in my head, I was like, oh, bring mum home. We're going to get her better. Like this is, you know, the worst has happened. Now we're on the up. And I remember we brought her home and sat her on the sofa and I was watching Catch Me If You Can or like it was playing on, on like Channel 4 or something. And we put mum on one sofa and I kept looking over at her and she kind of was like, her eyes were kind of half shut and, and she wasn't really like saying a huge amount and just I kept like that. I kept, that horrible sick feeling of like the mum does not look okay or like this isn't kind of how mum would normally be 
and it was really weird because it contrasted with the fact we were just watching a film and I kept like looking at her being wanting to like shake her and be like can you not just open your eyes why are you looking so rudely watching this film like mum come on like this is really rude um and so I think it was stressful because things like that started to happen and she wasn't really getting better she wasn't necessarily getting worse it just things weren't going in a good direction um and so it was very stressful because there was a lot of other, there was also, so this was a huge stress is that Tom, my brother was in Ecuador. Yeah. So he'd flown there, which is a weird parallel because I was in Peru when mom was diagnosed and had to like rush home. And Tom had left about five days before and we ha- kept having to have a discussion of when do we call Tom to come home? Yeah. And it was quite a big thing to decide because as soon as we'd decide to call him home, that was us, you know, admitting saying that there was the admitting something was happening. And so, I mean, honestly, I'm amazed at my telephone skills. I was like, maybe I should work in hostage situations because I was so <laughs> calm on the phone when I was talking to Tom. So you made the, it wasn't but your I, dad. No, I made, I made the call. I had to first call the travel agent, make sure there was a flight there. Amazing skills. <laughs> Admin skills, incredible. Transferable. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I first had to kind of call, um, uh, yeah, like a, the travel agent and kind of explain what was going on. But even when I'd say the words, I kind of was thinking, you know, I'm probably just, you know, going to make it sound quite serious. They'll help us out even more. Um, And then once we found a flight, and I think I booked the flight before I told Tom, I then had to call Tom and um, kind of, I think he could tell something was up before he left. But again, we weren't going to stop him from going because that would just be admitting something wasn't right. And I don't think anyone's ever going to think that someone's just about to die. Um. And I just had to phrase it as Tom, like mum's not doing so well and it'd be really important for us all to be at home as a family. Um, uh, and kind of, I could hear the panic in his voice. And he was like, can I talk to mum? Can I talk to mum? And, and I was like, no, mum's just having, like mum's just sleeping. Like um, just, I booked you on a flight, like get there. And I was trying so hard. Again, all the acting classes I went to when I was younger. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> calm voice being like, it's absolutely fine. Cause also I'm trying to convince myself it's fine. And, and the narrative was, is it's really important for us to be here together as a family um so that was just this massive stress that up and it felt it was relief once we got tom on the flight um because it was like we'd made that decision because there was that stress of what if something awful happened when tom wasn't there and actually tom arrived literally three four hours before mum died um which is amazing which is amazing and i feel like mum definitely held out and again i'm so grateful for that because tom's i mean again this is me talking about tom and we haven't properly chatted about this um since but like it would have been awful if he'd missed mum like he'd gone to Ecuador and then come home and then mum was had died yeah um and so again things like that that he got to kind of say goodbye and I mean he yeah for him it was a massive shock because we had to tell him in the taxi that kind of the reality of things um but yeah so that so (laughs) there's all these yeah that the stress of that the stress of mum there was one night when mum just was in a bit of pain and we had to call a GP a late night GP over um and like he didn't when he when the gp came over again he was looking really sympathetic and i was there being like why are you looking so serious come on everyone cheer up <laughs> come on <laughs> and um and kind of and this was when and like there was like the one time that mom was in a bit of distress and pain and it's stressful because me and dad were trying to figure out what to do and it felt like we were it's like we're both in this like high intensity situation kind of thinking god well, like mom's not comfortable like kind of she had pain in her back and and like we were like what is happening um and so that was incredibly stressful because then also you're just trying to navigate this situation and neither of us are doctors, neither of us know what's going on. And actually, in some senses, it was, I mean, dad was much better than I was in that situation because I was still very much believing 
that this wasn't happening. Whereas dad, so I think I remember getting annoyed at dad for being so serious yeah. and like seeing him acting very kind of being really pragmatic and making all these big decisions. And I'd be like, dad, why are you make like, why are you doing that? We don't need the GP over at this time. We, why mum doesn't need like morphine. Like it's fine. Cause again, it's all of those things would then confirm another reality. And my, my truth was, Oh, this isn't going to, this cannot happen. Yeah. Like that thing of it cannot happen. And then, so after the buildup of that, for that week before, um, and then we never funny, funny moments where like, um, we had so many people in the house that we had the kind of, uh, so all these family members. And then there, there was one day where our GP, who's quite an old man, kind of came over to talk to dad and stuff. And Ned just thought he was our uncle because all these <laughs> random people in the house. <laughs> we had to be like, no, Ned, <laughs> like, we're not related. <laughs> like He's just the GP. Um, but, That's really sweet. Yeah, no. So, but yeah. So, and then there's also, yeah, the horrible having to tell the boys that things were going quite badly. Um, so massive stress that I think I still. That's why I want to have therapy again because I think there's a lot that happened in that week. It's like so ingrained in my head, and I haven't spoken about it for ages. Like I can feel my tummy. I can see you kind of. Can you? I, I kind of regret asking. The no, question, no, no. I'm really glad you did. To, but I can see that it has an effect on you. And the other thing is. <laughs> When you tell the stories from five years on, yeah, clearly you can. I asked yeah. you that question and it just transported you there. Because yeah, you the images you were portraying, I can just see in your <laughs> mind that you can remember every yeah. in ounce of it. Yeah, no, it's like seared in my head, and it's funny because after Mum died, I kind of wrote it down. I think all the only person I've ever sent that to, uh, yeah. like the read that date. So maybe I'm telling you things you already know. Like Ella, <laughs> tell me something I new. This <laughs> um, and I because I was slightly I didn't. I don't know why. I think maybe I recognized that it would get a lot harder to go back to that place. And the immediate aftermath, I was so fluent in talking about that last week. Like, yeah. I, you know, to friends, I'd be thinking, I want to give you the full story. I'm going to tell you every single detail, which must have been incredibly hard to hear. But I was very blasé in saying it. I was so disconnected with the words that I just, you know, tell them this, kind of quite hard to hear stories. And so I was very numb to it. And that's why it's really weird going back to it now. And I'm quite pleased I have this physical reaction of like my tummy, like all feeling all an like anxious because it shows that I'm actually connected to my, yeah. the feeling. And it's not something that, because t telling stuff like this should be painful. It's it. Yeah. It's not a kind of an, a blase like, so yeah, mum was on the sofa and then this, this happened and the doctor came over and, um, yeah, after it immediately happened, I think I wrote it all down because I was aware I probably wouldn't be able to do that properly for a while. And I'm glad I got it written down because I think, again, like I didn't know how someone could die. You yeah. see, you hear death about death all the time in films, you you see it, but I didn't know what it meant the day to day of someone dying. Um, and in some ways, I almost was thinking, well, it's less terrifying and maybe actually my mum would have liked to have known what might happen and what would happen in the days after to feel less scared. Because, I mean, it must be terrifying. I want to have therapy to, more to talk about that week and unpack it because it's like that stress. I know that there's a lot in there. But also I find it hard now the more time that passes because I, I feel really sad for my mum. I feel really sorry that she must have been terrified and I didn't I couldn't say or do anything and I mean I part of me hopes that she was also not believing that it was going to happen yeah. so you're almost saved by the, the the thought that it can't happen 
but just and then I and then I hope that by the, the you know the few days before she wasn't really she was kind of feeling a bit lethargic and not really in her r- normal headspace so wouldn't have had the capacity to figure out what was happening um but it's just that kind of I, I suppose it's the shot I feel sad for the the fact that she had to die but also that for her experience of having a diagnosis that intense and leaving yeah. us behind I just think goodness like how does someone cope with that and I'm kind of scared as I get older to understand that more because I think I was very protected from it because I was young and I think as well I always I always thought I was older than I was well obviously you are old at 20 but also so young still and I I kind of and that comes back to you being the oldest of four yeah and you being a girl and then being Mm. three boys and the the mirror image of the mum figure yeah and feeling like you have to protect them yeah and actually like I said earlier you were behaving older than you were because you relatively you were really yeah No, I mean, I think I was. And also because mum was diagnosed when I was 18 and I'd come home from my gap year. So it felt like I was just much more immersed in kind of family. We changed mum's diet. So she kind of tried various vegan and diets and I'd try and cook meals. Some were awful. And I get this was a big cause of arguments for me and dad because he like I would be so defensive of the food I cooked. But there was one time I think I put lime rind into a, a piece of curry and it was just all disgusting but like I'd, I'd cook kind of meals for us all and, and just try and be at home helping so I think yeah I was older than perhaps your average 18 year old and then it kind of continued on but also I felt I felt this like massive responsibility for my brothers because I think mum's fear was what would happen if she wasn't there but I know something that helped her feel better was that she knew I was there and we kind of had this running joke with dad, me and mum, that I was like an upgrade of mum. <laughs> it was like, I was mum 2.0. Um, and so, and also because I felt this responsibility to help them in the way mum would, um, which is always going to be there. And there's yeah. always kind of a, yeah, it was like a promise, making a promise. And actually the, the last thing I ever said to my mum was, um, so there's this book called Pollyanna, which... Um, I used to read a lot with my mum and it's this girl who goes to live with her, I probably am saying the story wrong but goes to live with her uncle kind of has sad, lots of sad things happen in her life maybe her dad dies and she plays the glad game so she always finds a reason to be glad and a reason that something's not so bad and me and my mum used to play the glad game when I was younger and it's a very special book to me and um, I remember I ordered it maybe I ordered it the week before mum died and I said I think the last thing I said to mum was I'm going to read Ned Pollyanna I'm gonna go up to bed and read Ned Pollyanna even though Ned was 13 but I still sometimes forced him to let me read him stories and I think that was my way of saying to mum I'm gonna look after the boys or that's just me getting on with life as normal you don't need to worry um oh god sorry <laughs> you okay yeah do you want to stop no <laughs> sorry I haven't said that in ages oh because <laughs> I think I didn't know that that would be the last thing I'd said to her, but maybe part of me did know it was the last thing I was going to say to her and I was just trying to be really normal. I wasn't going to like crouch on my knees and, you know, say, I love you so much and I'll do this. I'll like look off, look after everyone. You don't have to worry. Because you always think, what will, your, what will the last thing you say to someone be? But I think because it's such an enormous thing to comprehend, you don't, you don't, you say other things. So I think that was me saying, I'm going to look after the boys. Um, And yeah, if you knew it was the last time you're going to see someone, you wouldn't be able to say bye. So you kind yeah. of can't know it's the last time. 
I, my fear <laughs> in this whole process is that you were going to start crying. <laughs> One thing I didn't anticipate, I'm like, what if I start crying? <laughs> Sorry, um, also that came out of nowhere. Sometimes I can tell like the tears come and then other times it's like, whoa, that was a, you know, a little sob. said to me have you ever said that to any of your brothers no would you i think there'll be a time when we probably do talk about this in depth but i think that's the thing is when you it's because there's the the kind of the loveliness when you're all united by an experience but it's very difficult because it's also painful for each and every person involved and so that would be such a painful conversation to have because they'd be listening to it with their own reactions and responses and um but I think at points we probably will kind of I don't know years to come talk back on that period um but I think it's really important to have the right time and and for I don't know my brothers to be in the right place to want to talk about it um but it's very cathartic because it's a I don't know an experience um and it's a way of uniting our experiences because we each, while it's losing the same person, have different experiences of, of it. Um, but no, that would seem like an incredibly serious conversation to have. Because when you, people talk, say, when people ask and say, oh, did you talk about, you know, grief in your family? Or, and it's like, well, we talk about mum and we talk about occasionally if we feel a bit sad. And I've been the most emotional of all of my family. And the boys have seen me cry a lot more than I've seen any, any of them cry. But we don't really, it's not like we sit down at the table and we're like, so guys, how are you all feeling? How is the loss in your heart? Like how, how, how has it been since your mother died? Because that just would feel really weird. Like no one we would don't, do that. no one would do that in a family. So when people be like, oh, do you talk about it? It's like, well, what, what do you mean when you say, do you talk about it? Like we talk about, yeah, the sadness. I mean, maybe we could do it more as a family, but I think. But I don't know to what extent, because I, I know that, I mean, I feel, I remember after mum died and if dad sometimes wanted to talk about things, I'd find it incredibly hard to listen to and I'd just suddenly be very distracted and I wouldn't indulge in that conversation. It, 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 and it was probably quite, like, if a friend did that, it'd be quite rude to do that to a friend, to kind of to switch the conversation away. But I'd just be like, I don't want to talk about this. Like, that's too, you know, talking about the mum's last few days or or how hard it's been. That I could I I can tell when I kind of switch on and I'm like oh it's all f- yeah uh, yeah it is really sad dad so dad might say oh kind of I can't believe it's been this many years since your mum died and I'm like no no neither can I what's for dinner <laughs> like, yeah. and that's obviously because it's such a that it's a painful thing for everyone and and that makes it tricky sometimes because normally in families that's where you get a good great source of support but then suddenly something happens and to support someone else who's going through the same process is a incredibly taxing on you because you can't come at it with a blank slate um so it's hard to yeah it's hard to empathize because it hurts you kind of have to block it off a bit um because if I saw one of my brothers incredibly upset unless I feel incredibly I've looked after myself and I'm in a really good place and I can give a bit of support it's a lot to ask to kind of console them because they're reflecting back at me what I'm feeling um and so that's a hard, a weird thing to navigate, I think, within families. And I can imagine just, but yeah, whenever anything huge happens in a family, it's hard to talk about it because your pain is my pain. And it's trauma. It's trauma. And, and then it's hard to support people. And it's hard, and, that, and it's hard to, 
be kind all the time and it's hard to be understanding and and, and empathetic because sometimes you know like, I don't want to like, I don't want to have to like understand that perhaps you're in a funny mood because mum's died because that makes me have to recognize that it's a really sad thing that's happened and, and I'm sad for you and it's really and that's another thing you're sad for yourself that something sad has happened but I was I'm, I was devastated for my dad and I'm devastated for my brothers and that's really hard because I look at them and I think especially Ned and I'm I think you were 13 that that's so young and I it's so sad that photos of like photos of me and my mum I kind of still look like I did when I was 20 yeah. whereas photos of Ned and mum Ned has changed incredibly he's ginormous now <laughs> very muscly <laughs> um and I just and I think that really brings it home to see a little photo of him little scrawny 13 year old to then the kind of man he is now and that's a reminder of time passing um and I'm really sad that that's happened to him and and yeah I really struggle with that sometimes being sad for someone else. But maybe that's a way of deflecting as well. But also it's weird because you're sad for them in the same way that I was sad for you. Yeah. But you you were also going through the same reason for being sad. Yeah. And you have to, I imagine, cut those in half and go, okay, I'm here for you, but also I'm focusing on myself. Yeah. Which sounds selfish, but it's not. Yeah. And also that's the thing, it's that balance. And especially after mum died... I wasn't very in tune with how to look after myself or how to make sure I was feeling okay emotionally. Because I so noticed that I can come back home to Brighton and be much more giving and and of my kind of empathy to my dad and my brothers if, because I've kind of nourished, I've topped myself up. We talk about your brothers and your dad and your dad trying to have conversations with you. Did it happen the other way around? Did you go to your dad for counsel at any point? I don't think I did. Because, again, sometimes you don't know what that counsel would look like. That, I mean, actually, I've got a bit better now of, of kind of sometimes if I've I don't know, come down from London and I've just been feeling a bit tired and a bit griefy and I kind of... I'm not afraid to burst into tears and just say, dad, I'm just really missing mum and saying it like that. But I, I don't think I'd call to talk to him. I think it's, but it's hard because I don't know getting support when you're grieving. It's, there's nothing really to say to someone when, when they're really upset. It's like we've said before, you can't say, Oh, don't worry. Mum will be back soon. Like, yeah. well, don't worry. This is just, it'll all be just fine. Cause things like that don't, don't kind of help or, or really make sense. So the most you can really do, I guess there's different forms of support of kind of distraction, kind of just loving and, and looking after someone. And, and that's ways that you can give support. So I guess sometimes, so actually, so rather than have a conversation, what dad does that's sweet is sometimes if I come home and he can tell I'm really run down and, and if I've kind of said I'm feeling a bit emotional, he'll, or, so I remember doing this when I, during my master's. And I'd be upstairs writing an essay and I'd get like a knock on the door and he'd have pulled me. He'd brought up like a glass of wine, um, some lovely olives and crisps on a tray for me, which was just a very sweet and actually quite reminiscent of when I was younger. Because I used to, this is when I used to get, so I, I was actually a really well-behaved child. But these was the one time I'd like be really quite mean to my parents because they, mum would enforce a watershed. So past 9pm, we weren't allowed downstairs 
because mum and dad needed time to catch up and have dinner themselves. Wow. So they were very strict on that because otherwise they wouldn't be able so to have... Have a glass of wine and some olives. No, no, that wasn't... <laughs> <laughs> no, but my dad would do that for my mum. So I'd, I'd look in the kitchen and see my mum come back, like dad would be cooking, like they'd have their wine, some nice ham on the table with some olive oil and black pepper. And like, and then mum would be like, right, kids upstairs. And I'd think, this is ridiculous. This is so cruel. And I'd be thinking about, you know, my cousins that are allowed to eat with their parents. And I'd be kind of looking at mum and dad. And dad would definitely have cracked when my my mum not so strict on this. This is mine and dad's time. And I'd be like, how dare you? And I'd go upstairs. And this was the only time I ever wrote my parents hate hate mail. And I'd... (laughs) And I'd sit at my desk, you know, crying, like writing this massive, this letter being like, I cannot believe it. I just feel like you obviously don't love me. This is so mean. Like, I mean, I don't know what I would have had, what content that letter would have had. Just the same thing of being kind of saying, this is awful. You're so mean. And I'd like slip it under the door. I kind of stomp downstairs and like slip it under the door, kind of expecting this big reaction. But obviously mum and dad would just leave the letter there. And I must have been about 10. But what my dad... Oh, I assumed you were 17. Yeah, no, it was when I was 17. Um, but my dad, what he'd do sometimes that was sweet is while I was having a strop in my room at the kind of audacity of not being allowed to have dinner with my mum and dad age, maybe it was like eight, nine, ten. Um, I'd get a knock on the door and then like, I'd open the door and there'd be a tray with some fizzy water, some olives and some crisps and he'd leave that outside my room. And so it's quite sweet. I feel like that's a, a, a dad being kind of saying, sorry, your mum's so nice. <laughs> but that was so it's really sweet now when I come home and dad does that it's kind of a continuum from when I was younger but so he's very good that's how I guess showing his care and support and it's rather than counsel of of sitting down going let's talk about it your mum like how are you feeling um it's it's in other ways it's kind of I don't know cooking he loves to cook a puttanesca when we come home that's his classic dish nice. his main dish when we come home um I don't know from uni or from London um Sorry, I went on a tangent about dad knocking on the door and giving fizzy water and olives. <laughs> but that's his way of, or your way of communicating with each other. Yeah, that was him saying. I not expect, thinking... you know, when I said council, which is a very medieval word, I'm not sure why I used that <laughs> one. But I wasn't expecting it to be like, oh, how often do you ring, have an hour long phone call about your feelings with your yeah. dad? Obviously, you're not going to do that. <laughs> but it's finding those ways of grieving together. Yes. Because that relationship's unique. Yeah. It's grieving together. That's an interesting thing because I don't know how. Do you know what? The one thing that that makes me think of is actually at Christmas when we go see my grandparents, we kind of have a tradition now to walk down to the grave. Um, and Ned kind of bought shots once. For, <laughs> for, actually, he went himself and did a shot on the grave. <laughs> and he's only told us now that there was a few years ago that he then had Christmas lunch feeling incredibly drunk. <laughs> <laughs> did he say before that he was going to do it? No, he, about he said, well, it's because mum had had this bottle of Grey Goose vodka, like a really small one in her, her room for a while. Because when she was ill, she thought, well, if I'm going to drink, I'll have good quality alcohol. But she never drank it. So Ned found it, and I guess it was a token of mum, this little bottle that's just been in his room, in her room. And he went down, um, uh, because we sometimes on Christmas Day, we'll kind of go down at various points, but we'll do a group trip together. And he kind of sat and, you know, poured a shot over her, and then poured a shot, (laughs) had a few shots himself. (laughs) And then... um, Staggered back up the hill. Yeah, and I can't, and I I think at that point, he must have just been a bit quiet, but um, he was like, I was trying so hard to not look drunk. Um, But anyway, our tradition, I guess, with grieving together is we'll go down and kind of all stand around the grave. And actually, rather than kind of say, sometimes we might go say one nice memory of mom and kind of go round, which is quite reminiscent of when we were younger and 
I don't know, we'd sit at a table and mum would make us say one good thing that happened at school today. Or annoyingly, if me and Tom had had an argument, one nice thing about your sibling, and you'd be there like, well, he doesn't smell that bad, <laughs> is your good thing. And so, yeah, dad and the boys will go and stand around mum's grave and, I don't know, say, well, it's not too serious, but it's actually the, the closest time that we come to all being quite, you know, united in that feeling. And that I, and that I find it hard because I just have the urge to just want to just cry but I'm with the boys and dad, but actually that's probably a time which I could, and we're all kind of holding it in, but we'll kind of make jokes about, you know, what's happened on Christmas day and jokes about what's happening. And it's a very kind of special moment actually. So that's the one time I feel like we really grieve together. Um, Yeah, I can't, I'm trying to think how else, how else we'd do that. No, I think that's, that's it's nice a ritual. And ritual is a part of grief. Like, yeah. Like, you know, and you'll start to do things and then you'll just start to do them again or in every year or every month. Or... Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I've, I think that's the thing. It's about how do you have a relationship with someone once they've died? And I remember soon after mum died, someone stopped me, um, kind of one of my brother's friend's mums. And she said that, Ella, you know, you can still have a relationship with your mum even though she's not here. And I remember thinking like, that's what what's that even mean kind of she's not I can't go for a coffee with her can I <laughs> can't exactly cool her up but actually what she meant and I think it's a really important thing to remember and something I want to kind of understand more is that there are still ways that you can bring that person into your life and and have that yeah relationship with them that they're yes they're gone but there's things I can do that connect with me with mum and like even when I write a blog I feel that that's something I'm doing for my mum um or I like even like today I put on her perfume before coming here and that's a kind of a nice link to mum or I'm wearing her bracelet the bracelet she was wearing when she died because like when I was feeling a bit griefy a few like the week or so ago um and it's like little things you can do just to kind of feel connected um and when I have a coffee like when I have a coffee and a croissant moment that's a ritual that my mum loved coffee and croissants and with marmite and butter butter on a butter croissant very indulgent but I'll have that and that will be a mum moment and so I'm trying to figure out how I can have more of them um but there's yeah definitely rituals that you kind of introduce because you don't have that love person there to spend time with so you need other things to fill because the gap can't go there's still a gap there's still this love that you have for someone that you want to put somewhere um and so it's finding that place um and also still honouring them, feeling like they're, I still, the thing I was terrified after mum died was I didn't want her to not have an influence on my life. I didn't want it to mean I didn't now have a mum, but I still feel in my day to day that I have a, a mum. I'm still influenced by her. And even doing this and chatting with you now, like that's because of mum. And that's, yeah, a special thing to, to, it can be connecting, it can be kind of, insightful for various I feel like I know myself more emotionally and I like to attribute that to my mum and so um because I remember I remember um on when we were lying on her bed it's probably the only conversation we had kind of honestly about what if she died and I remember saying that mum will actually be you know a really amazing your incredible life experience will be really resilient and kind of very robust children because we would have had to live without mum our mum being here um but I like to think that we that is the case and that that's mum still having a very positive influence on us even now. Do you ever dream about your mum? Uh, so I actually dreamed about mum so much after she died. I had so many dreams um, 
which I think was a sign. It's so weird what happens in your head, but a sign that I was trying to make sense. I was trying to like make it my reality because I was so not kind of, it was also so surreal and such a blur that someone's not there. And I'd have these dreams. They were actually quite cruel dreams where in my my dream it'd be either I I was about to save mum or it was like kind of, I had moments to rush and help her or, or I knew she was just about to die. So it was like me reliving the moment before. Um, I did have one dream where um, mum was giving me some words of wisdom, which is all very, you know, somber. And we were around a swimming pool and it was very dark weather. Um, and the only word of wisdom I could remember in the morning was don't talk too fast, which I was kind of hoping for, you know, a bit more insight. But then I was like, wow, what if I actually can have conversations with my mum? <laughs> <laughs> Because I do talk, I have a tendency to, I have a tendency to talk fast. And so it was really funny that that had happened in my dream. And and actually there's something comforting. And it's so weird to say, but that I can see my mum in my dreams sometimes. Because I dream of her and she's still my mum. And and actually I I haven't, so I had loads of dreams about mum when she first died. Like every single night I just dream about her. Um, Which definitely shows that you're kind of, yeah, your dreams are so reflective of kind of what's What's happening in your your life. And I don't so much have them anymore, but literally a few days ago, I had my first. And again, it's so similar, the template of these dreams, is that we were trying to find mum using GPS. <laughs> and we were looking at like a map and trying to intercept where she was going. She was walking along the border somewhere. And like, it was, it was like time was running out to try and find her. And it's always really unnerving when you wake up and you think, oh God, like that was really weird. Because it's kind of nice because it's nice to see... And it sounds so weird to say seen her because obviously it's not her, it's dream. But, you know, to have been with her, um, we had to, had her be part of a reality even if it wasn't a reality. But it's also very weird. It's a horrible, I suppose it's a horrible way of dreaming because there's always that, that time limit of something's about to run out. I've got limited time. Maybe that's because I was so una- kind of unbelieving or unaware that my time perhaps would, I don't know, was running out. But it's, yeah, the theme do a thematic analysis of my dreams <laughs> and those dreams continue they're not as often as they were but they still happen occasionally they happen yeah because at the start every, when mum first died every night now it's occasional but they are quite they're more disturbing now i think sometimes i'll wake up and i'll just feel funny um well that's what i was gonna say like is it a thrill mm. in a bad way but but still a thrill to kind of go oh wow i've had a dream of my mum and that's yeah. amazing or is it kind of it makes you feel a bit sick it's yeah I think if yeah it's both it's probably I wake up and is that remembering you know in that foggy morning state where you're kind of just remembering what happened and then I'll first remember that mum was in my dream and then I'll remember the kind of content and the time was running out or it'll kind of and then I'll remember that that's weird because mum's not here anymore not that I because I don't wake up and and it's not like I have to keep reminding myself that my mum's died that's very much my reality now um but it is a a weird feeling I think sometimes I, I kind of psychoanalyze myself and I'm thinking, am I feeling, am I okay? Like, is there something I, am I, have I, have I checked in with myself? Of, am I feeling really sad at the moment? Am I, you know, where's this come from? And I, and I kind of try and think back and go, where, why have I just dreamed that my mum had a GPS and I defined her? Um, it's my introspection, but I never know. Maybe, I mean, I had had like a week or so of feeling griefy the week before last. So maybe it's just the kind of, finale of <laughs> a week of feeling sad or actually do you know what i was thinking this is me just you know imagine what it is i watched the film coda with dad and william about um sign language Jill- yes incredible 
but really emotional. And I was watching it with Dad and William, like, and I actually would have loved to have watched it on my own because I'd have really had a lot of crying. So I think I had a lot of crying in me. Sometimes I get this feeling where it's like, I, if, I, if I've had to stop myself from crying, like it's like up. sitting, it's pent up crying. I mean, this is just me speculating on where that dream came from. Probably just was, I mean, there's all sorts of random dreams you can have. Um, but yeah, I still dream of one, but I, I, I look forward to continuing <laughs> to dream of her. Because it shows she's still in my head. She's always in my head. And um, yeah, but maybe less GPS dreams and time running out dreams. Maybe a bit more words of wisdom that aren't don't talk too fast. (laughs) How do you think your brothers would feel listening to you say what you've said to me? Ooh, that's a good question. I can imagine it'd be quite hard to listen to. Um, And I feel like I'd want them to have it to listen to at some point when they feel like sometimes you want to you know trigger a bit of emotion or if you feel like you're in a space where you want to connect with mum and sometimes you just need something to bring you to that place um and so I'd hope that they'd find it a way of feeling close to mum and learning I suppose it's getting an insight into how I'm feeling I suppose they sometimes read my blogs but maybe hearing about kind of mum's last few days, I think would be really hard um, for them. Yeah, because we've not really spoken about that week or that day rather when Tom came back and it was the four of us. So it'd probably be quite uncomfortable. But it, something maybe that they should savour forever. <laughs> and when they read your blogs, obviously you post them online to the world. Yeah. Do you just get a message from them saying... That was nice. Or, I mean, do they give you any kind of feedback? No, see, what or... I'll say to Tom is I'll say, Tom, share it on your Facebook. <laughs> and then actually, do you know what I just, and then I'll tell William and Ned, and I think they kind of read it in their own time. Um, and I like to think that it's something that, that, that there was one, one of my, the blogs I'm most proud of is one I wrote for the four year anniversary when mum died, or maybe three years. And I just wrote a blog about mum and kind of describing her kind of quirks and characteristics and how she kind of, you know, when she'd come downstairs, to the kitchen in the morning she'd have her arms like full of cups she'd collected along the way and kind of her headphones and her, like kind of her arms kind of carrying everything with this lovely smell of her hair oil behind her and and kind of things like that and little memories and I think I remember William said that he loved reading that and that reminded him of lots of things and I was so pleased because I also feel quite responsible that I have you know I had a few, I've got we've all got our own memories and actually that's one thing so after mum died Tom Ned wrote loads of memories down on on um, his notes page on I, on his iPhone and Tom would make us all like he was very intent on us remember like making sure we write down our memories of mum um but I, I do feel this responsibility that I had a few more years with mum than they did and at some point it would be nice to share or get or I, I don't know because I know I won't ever forget mum and I know Ned won't at all because even if you're 13 it's still you're seared it's like like me remembering that week before she died it's seared into my head um but that I can hopefully tell him things that maybe mum would have told him about how he was when he was younger or things like that you know that you'd want your parents you know and you kind of say what was I like as a kid and obviously we've got dad that, that can do that but I can kind of tell Ned about all his annoying habits where I would scream in the car for hours and you know, those, the memories that your parents normally hold, I feel this responsibility to kind of give to the boys um, with dad. Dad's got more memories, of course. Mm-hmm.